0: This is a production of Cornell University.
1: Uh, episode eight of the Cornell Turf Show this year in 2022. Uh, our guest today is Ben Polymer. Uh, he's the field and grounds coordinator for the Western, uh, Weston Massachusetts. This is a cool position I was reading about, actually. So we, we may talk about uh, the sort of progressiveness of your of your position, Ben. Uh, he has strolled into the lion's den today, Frank, with a sign that says, eat me. Those, those, uh. Listening on the podcast, Ben has has come wearing a Boston Red Sox hat. So, uh, we we uh, hopefully we'll make it through our fastest thirty minutes in turf today without a without a fight going on here. But uh, as always, Frank, I'll I'll let you kick things off uh, with our episode today.
2: Uh, don't worry, it's on today, Ben. It is on. You uh, know, we know we had to let it rest. This is my uh, longtime college buddy Dan Cunningham's thirty third opening day uh at yankee stadium so he's been there a long time and you know the ironic thing is he's a rhode islander he's a probably grew up a red Sox fan the poor guy so I'm, I'm completely surrounded so it is on today ben we are looking forward to it it is everything uh we want to start the season get us all excited to get going um and but before we do that carl what do you got for us today for the staff
1: yeah so so i was looking around at um you know, early season spring use is, is underway on, on certain athletic fields, and, and we're going to see, because there's no growth here early in the season, we're going to see things getting ripped up, uh, notably these, these things like goal mouths, if, um, if you can't get some seed down or if it's, if it's slow to grow out of it, we're going to end up sodding these things at, at one point or another during the year. And I was interested in, okay, what, what are some of the ways that they prepare the sod that will best translate when you lay that sod? Uh, and this is actually work from Evan Machetti, who we had uh, actually a couple of weeks ago on the on the show. He looked at nitrogen rates of producing sod, uh, the mowing height of that sod, looked at a couple other things like top dressing. Uh, and the biggest factor he found that translated to that sod rooting very well uh, was the nitrogen rate. And actually the lower nitrogen rates, uh, he found the three pounds of N per year, did better, produced 40% more divot resistance Then sod, that was managed with four pounds of nitrogen per year. Uh, So their theory theory was the plant is prioritizing when it gets a a lot of nitrogen grown as sod, it's prioritizing leaf tissue growth and not that stolen and root growth, which is what we need for that high divot resistance. Um, So things to think about if you're producing your own sod on the side, if you've got a little nursery, uh, you maybe don't want to juice it quite as much uh, before it's going to get laid on that field or maybe even working with their sod producer and trying to find a, a nitrogen rate that's going to translate well once that sod is laid on the field.
2: Uh, it's very interesting, Carl, because I'm going to actually talk a little bit about some things I saw out when I was at the field day in Oregon State around the timing of the application, yep. right? Here you see a a preference for the fall uh, nitrogen load, which you know historically we've always said, yeah, this is good for root growth because uh, Shoot growth isn't favored at that time, but at the same time, like last week at the ground session, we talked a lot of, with Carl about you know not going too much too late, right? Because of the potential leaching. So there's a a nuance to the timing of this. We'll talk about it as 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 we keep going. Let me uh, get to the weather. Um, and again, uh, we've had adequate moisture. The funny thing you're going to see about what I'm going to say: we've had adequate moisture. We're expecting more moisture. Right. The six to day, 10 to day outlook looks like, you know, we got a really good chance for getting more moisture. But there are still parts of the northeast that this normal or slightly above normal rainfall is not compensating for the the really dry conditions. So, you know, it's hard to remember this or think about this when, you know, you see the rains falling, especially in the New York metropolitan area, where I know, you know, specifically that the soils are fairly soggy still and looking like they're getting soggy or longer, but it re, you know, remember how we look at dry conditions. This is a cumulative measure of groundwater and stream flow and prehistoric precipitation versus normal precipitation. So in general, we would say it wasn't, You know, many people would say it wasn't that wet of a winter and this may be the lingering effects. And certainly the Northern part of New England, you know, where the five people live in up Northern New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine, Uh, It's getting pretty dry uh, up in the woods up there. So the temperature departure, it has been on the warm side as well as wet, uh, or recently, I'm sorry, it's been on the cool side. The cool side, it's been hitting the pause button for the last couple of weeks. Overall, we've been warmer than normal, but in the recent weeks, pretty typically what we see with the way springs are going these days is, is that we get going and then we hit pause. So right now, it looks like we're in a pause, but looks like that's about to break. Art D. Gaetano, uh, our climate guy, says we're about to get very ridgy, right? We're going to get this warm air coming up from the Gulf region probably by the middle of the week uh, as as we move forward. So growing degree day-wise, last week uh, up until the 6th, you can see uh, we're a little bit slightly behind through much of the Northeast. And- Again, until maybe the middle to the end of next week, you're still not going to be accumulating more than the low teens. So things are going to warm up, but you're not going to see enormous uh, progress uh, uh, during the year. Oh, wait, I think I got one more thing before I get to bed. Uh, Two-inch soil temperature. A few weeks ago, it was 50-something degrees now. We're barely into the low fifties, maybe starting to creep into the fifties. Now, Ben is in a place uh, where the soils may be a little bit warmer. And the reason this is on here, Carl, is because of the meat thermometer, right? We are going to start a company around using meat thermometers in turf. And this is a tweet that Ben gave us a few weeks ago uh, where he was tracking things, talking about goose poop. And when we look at temperature, right here's where it's been the last few weeks and the growth potential we're going to get there the next few weeks we're going to see a slight increase as we move to the upper 50s you see it go from 20% growth potential to all of a sudden 60% growth potential right so how much are we going to get going and of course i always like to think about not football necessarily in the spring but are we open these things fields up safe or do you have a good network of information and resources that you can get information like our sports turf stuff, but remembering simple things like generally, we don't always promote it, but lower cut grass tends to warm a little bit quicker, right? It brings that heat into the soil. Now, here's the thing about fertility, Carl and Ben, that I noticed, and I don't know how much tall fescue you have, but I was out in Oregon in February, uh, late, late February, early March, and they're looking at, uh, a shift now in species to more tall fescue now typically ryegrass has been good fine fescue does well out there for the low input shady areas but their summers are getting drier and warmer consistently which is starting to favor tall fescue uh, in a different way now one of the things they're saying and carl it's the same thing you said look at the, the color just the color of green you get by the same amount of end applied at different times, looking at what they looked like at this time of year. And you can see those later end rates, what are they, about 0.6 pounds per app. That's a good app. Uh, You get it on before mid-October, even in New England, you still feel pretty good about it. Uh, And then you get this really nice spring green up. Now, nothing does it as good really as covers. And we've been talking about this like crazy in the golf business. But again, Ben, I caught you tweeting, right? Time to start overseeding, right? You see the bare soil, right? We've done a lot of this. I've talked about it in the past, chucking seed even on crappy looking fields gives you that little bit of peach fuzz right on top there. Sometimes it can translate if you do it intensely to crabgrass control. And we got weeks till we're talking about anything with regard to crabgrass control right now, right? So uh here you are and for from an educational perspective big shout out to the new england guys and i think i know almost everybody in that picture uh with you in one way shape or form especially the guy on the right we were chatting retirement last time i just saw it but i also want to shout out to a fund i know you've promoted yourself i didn't know are you a UConn grad uh
0: well my wife did her graduate work at uconn so uh i have a i have a uh Close affinity to the uh, the Yukon group.
2: And I'll tell you, this guy is going to win the award someday for one of the most unsung guys in turf grass science, who probably contributed more than a lot of people that are fellows of our scientific association, because he just went about his business, did a lot of teaching. In fact, I think was as busy after he retired uh, as he was before he retired. Okay, Ben, a couple of hacks. Here you applying gypsum to some of your salt affected sites. And again, Carl, this is so great. You can see what I love here is what we've seen on this campus where you get the splashing and the running of the water up in here, right? You can see that it breaks dormancy and then the splashy cold water gets on it, right? And so here's Ben making a... uh, Uh, gypsum application, one of the few uses, I think, for gypsum in in our climate, really the only as far as I can tell. And here you are uh, reseeding. Now, I want to ask you, this is a good place to start. Here's a picture of one of our baseball fields in Glens Falls, New York, just the other day, made it into the newspaper. Why do you use tetraploid ryegrass? Let's start there. That was a pretty cool tweet. Why do you like that particular ryegrass? Is it cheap?
0: uh yeah well it's cheap and um and pam share down at uh ohio state was started to do some research uh she posted some articles and whatnot trying that they say right this tetraploid ryegrass will uh germinate at lower temperatures uh this is my second year using it uh anecdotally i don't see a really any difference right now okay. um but we're willing to try it right and and i've always been taught the seed doesn't do any good in the bag, right? It does good on the field, right? So, so let's put it out. So we had a little bit of tetraploid ryegrass left over from last year. We put it out on some spots that we just couldn't get some recovery back last fall. And uh, we'll put it out there. Um, so okay. yeah, we're, we're, so we're, se- just- we're seeding right off the bat.
2: Okay, good. That's good. So you like, so, so let's get going here. Let's first for, for Carl bringing this up and I'm really glad he did. Let's talk a little bit about the nature of your position, because one of the things I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, golf's having a lot of labor trouble. This your line of work needs more competent grounds, people maybe who come from the golf course. And there's probably a lot more opportunities than people always give uh, credit to. So can you talk a little bit about your path and actually your role a little bit now?
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, I graduated from Delaware Valley University uh, with agronomy, environmental science background. Uh, Started in sports, never left sports, didn't go to the golf world.
2: No matter Uh, what Doug said?
0: Exactly. So you had
2: Doug Lindy and try as he might, he, he couldn't turn you into a golf guy.
0: That's right. And, uh, I was one of the few and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, started right out of uh, leaving Doug. I went and worked for longer cricket club right down in, uh, Metro Boston, yeah. learn how to take care of POA and your tennis courts. And that was interesting, right? You learned a thousand ways to kill POA. And now we were trying to keep it running. Uh, was there for a few years uh, and then took a, a sports turf manager role out in, in central Massachusetts for a private school. I uh, was there for six years and then I've been here since, uh, Uh, December 2015, as the first basic sports field manager they had here in this town. We're 12 miles outside of Boston. How many Uh, acres? How many acres of
2: fields? What kind of fields?
0: uh, We manage about 51 acres of of turf, and that's lawn, lawn, municipal lawns, school lawns, high-end sports fields, pocket parks. Uh, So yeah, just around 51 acres.
2: Do you oversee the schools as well the yes. school sports fields
0: oh very yeah so so schools probably take up about 80 percent of my time wow. uh, and the schools have a lot of facilities a lot of acreage uh synthetic fields you can see the ones behind me i got one one there uh one up there too um you know so and we're managing municipal lawns uh, uh snow control in the renter right snow and ice uh-huh. So we're always battling putting down ice melt. And then as you saw gypsum going out, trying to battle that, uh, you know, lawn care, uh, shade tree, perennials, perennial beds, um, you know, sometimes right. agronomy's low on the uh, priority list.
2: So let me start with this job didn't exist till you. Correct. We've had the similar transition here at Cornell with a new golf and sports director, turf director of golf and sports turf, the golf course and the sports fields. And then we're going to have a golf course superintendent. So those kinds of opportunities are are really cool. And the, of the 51 acres, a certain amount of it is sports fields. How do you, with some synthetic turf available, Ben, how do you decide in the spring when to let them on the natural surfaces when, they ha- when you have that um, sort of synthetic surface available that will help you when, you know, you got 20% growth potential.
0: Yeah, well, and that's it. We use those early, early in the spring, right? We were probably give or take about a week ahead of our schedule normally this year. Um, so, you know, priority starts with our varsity school sports and then works the way down the youth. Um, we have great relationship with our youth groups. Uh, And they ask us almost on a daily basis, are fields available, are fields up and running or playable or not? Um, Again, those two synthetics take the pressure off the natural grass fields. Um, We have enough, we're we're great here. We have enough fields. We can take one field offline per season. Uh, And I have a rotating schedule. And that's well known to our youth groups that this is what our schedule is going to be and what fields. Does that let you
2: sacrifice it sometimes, Ben? It's like, listen, Okay, it's crappy. We need this field. It's safe. It might be a little wetter than I'd like, but it's little kids, and I can yep. put four fields and use areas that don't get beat up. Can you yep. be creative like that with a swing field?
0: Yeah. So perfect example. Our soccer complex, we can put three nine v nine fields in. We put two in this year. Uh, one side, of course, close to the parking lot, close to where everyone goes. That site gets beat up a little bit. It's also shaded too, so it doesn't get sunlight. Uh, we decided not to put a, a 9v9 field there to kind of give it a, a rest of, of formal space. We have kindergarten and pre-kindergarten groups still using that, but there's no lines, right? So they get gravi- instead of gravitating towards the lines, they can put their little goals out everywhere. It's still getting used, but it's not as, uh, as a formal space. Uh, so, so we use that as a strategy. Uh, again, the synthetics help us a lot. The other thing that we do is I, we tell our youth groups, Probably for the first two weeks of the season, practices only, sneakers, no cleats, uh, and they and they're they're great with that. They're pretty good with that. I had a conversation with a neighboring town, their turf manager the other day, and he said, "Wow, that's a great idea." I said, "All you can do is ask, right? You know, if they can they can say yes, and if 50% of them do it, that's great." Um, you know, so you, you notice a difference.
2: You notice a difference in the wear and tear if they're just wearing sneakers versus even the youth wearing pleats?
0: 100%, especially, you know, we're still not growing, right? We're still, the soil temperatures, like you said, are still, still bouncing all over the place. We've had three days of rain. Um, yeah. You, you are you covering?
2: Are, are you able to do any accelerating? Do you, do you, does that make any sense for you?
0: We've, we've talked about it for years. I've considered doing covers. It's really, it's a labor thing for me more than anything else of when the when to pull those covers, uh, you know, early or, or too late. Right. Um, we've thought about it for a long time. I'm, I'm almost ready to pull the trigger, uh, especially just goal mouth repair, right. And goal mouth recovery, um, where we can do maybe 10 by 10, 10 by 20, uh, um, covers, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, we, we see a difference and, and i have a turf type tall fescue predominantly field uh-huh. um and it takes a long time to green up a long time to green up yeah and so
2: that makes it less useful for you uh in the spring uh, Right. we
0: use it no matter what unfortunately it's one of those things it's a it's a youth across field we do javelin and discus from the high school on that so that has some interesting uh um uh grenade launch uh, type <laughs> <laughs> uh, impacts so, on it, so, so yeah so, but we, we do what we kind of do yeah
2: so so let me ask uh, to Carl's I- I- opening stat uh when do you decide you're gonna go with thick cut sod in your gold mouths when is it like you know what it's so wet? I'll they, be honest here we've up?
0: we've never done any sodding here in six years okay um yeah we haven't you know i'm I'm just big on pushing seed right Seed, oh, good. complete seeding in. Is it works? It it works. 100% works. Yeah, 100% works.
2: Yeah. But but, it's going to cost three times as much. What do you see as you're looking forward for a heavy seed guy? Are going to be your challenges communicating that as a budget item about to maybe double or
0: triple? Uh, Yeah, finding seeds going to definitely going to be difficult. Um, we pre-ordered a lot of seed this year, which is what we normally don't do. Yeah. I normally buy a lot of seed March one. We ordered a lot of seed in November. Um, you know, we were lucky on pricing to a point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's certainly going to be an increased cost. Um, it is interesting. Yeah. A lot of
2: places, I, we heard this from Vicki Wallace, you know, the great Vicki Wallace in Connecticut joins us for a conference call on Thursday mornings. And, and she was talking about much of our industry is a buy, you know is buying seed in the spring industry instead of buying it in the fall uh, industry when you're buying your fertilizer. And you, a lot of guys are buying it fertilizer, pesticides, and the early order programs uh, at the end of the year. Seed doesn't usually get bought until now. So you're already taking advantage of buying ahead uh, in volume. I so, get,
0: yeah, I get great vendors, right? And they and they kind of predicted this was this was coming down the line back in in, in October or so, uh, especially from the seed side, right? We knew there was going to be a supply issue, uh, okay. and and that increased cost.
2: All right, so That's so good. let's talk numbers here for a second, because I sure. I don't think a lot of people listening or uh, because you know you probably are old enough that most people said. Oh, I core and I seed in August, you know, or I do it once a year. Uh, and, you know, I remember that from 25, 26 years ago when I started the repetitive overseeding work, right? Just throw it in. They'll figure it out. Put a lot. it'll It's cheap. They can, they can waste it. It'll fill in. And so how much seed, let's talk about a typical uh, soccer field uh, over the course of a year. Uh, how much seed will you be throwing on that field? And ha- what one do you use? what's sure. the typical profile of the fields, blah, blah,
1: blah. Yeah.
0: So uh, we have mostly native soil fields. Uh, we do have some fields that have some heavy sand top dressing, sand slit drainage systems. So we're, we're, we're sand top dressing all over them to keep them up and, and, and flowing. Uh, we use definitely more seed in, in, in those fields just, to, just because of the, the soil profile. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going out on almost a 10 day basis and putting seed down in the goal mouth areas, in the high wear areas. You're not talking a lot of seed, right? No. Uh, you know, uh, a half a 50 pound bag can go a long way, right? Uh, I'm yeah. from the Dave Minner era, right? More seed is better. That's right, um, more seed is better. More seed is better. Um, so, you know, we're, we're probably putting, and, and from a timing perspective, we're doing more ryegrass now, right? We're doing ryegrass probably until soil temperatures are, are, are high enough. Um, I normally do about an 80 percent ryegrass, 20 percent bluegrass blend now, and then I switch at 180 as we get into warm soil temperatures, high, higher bluegrass uh, um, uh, amount. But you water won't,
2: water. but you won't repetitively overseed the bluegrass, will you? You'll just do that more when just fields the wear, are resting.
0: Just the wear areas, the wear just areas the wear with areas. the ryegrass, yeah, the yeah. bluegrass, um, and then some of our high-use fields. I have the budget we're able to slice seed in in, in, in late August, early September, yes. um, you know, good good cultivars, right, really right. good cultivars um, right. and and push that seed in and again you're not talking a lot of seed, um, normally we go one and a half pounds per thousand, two directions, three pounds total. Okay. With the seed
2: All, right. All right, good. All right. So listen, thanks for bringing up the soil stuff. That's the natural progression here of what guys are thinking about in the spring. So, um, okay, let's take the sand fields out for a second. Let's just talk about your native soil fields because that's what a lot of people have. So we'll start there. Um, What are your typical, you put to bed uh, soil management tactics and wake up soil management tactics if you have any?
0: Yeah, sure. So, you know, we're doing a core aeration in the late fall, dragon cores, You know, we'll overseed some of the wear areas if we can. Um, you know, it all depends on when we kind of get snowfall here, cold temperatures, you know, we, sometimes we can do it, sometimes we can't, as far as the seeding. Uh, we'll do a deep tiny aeration late in the fall. You know, everything, the, Yeah. all your know, native
2: soil fields.
0: Yep, everything, everything. Um, you know, I want to keep those holes open through the winter, right soil movement, fracturing a soil, freeze-thaw, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll and then we'll do a late season nitrogen application, mm. um, you know, pretty pretty typical. Yeah, and, yeah. Then,
2: and that's yeah. it. They're in bed. And what that's about it. waking them up? Nothing.
0: Waking them up, um, you know, you probably saw on Twitter. We end up doing a lot of dethatching, uh, trying to get that dead material out, thatch the goose poop, <laughs> um, you know, all that kind of stuff out of there. Um, Kind of, I think it helps the moisture kind of get through that soil profile, uh, through the thatch layer into the soil profile, waking it up. Yeah. Um, and we don't do any fertilizer applications. My first application is going to be here in, in late April. Um, you know, so uh, you know that late season nitrogen app is getting us through those first couple of weeks.
2: Good. Okay, so that's a good point because n- you know now you you know you're throwing seed, you're opening up the soil, you're getting it going. Uh, not a lot of fertilizer. What about mowing heights on these native soil fields? What are you typically expected to uh, deliver to the people who use it from
0: varsity to youth? So um, I'm from the school of leave it alone, one one height all year round. Uh, so I do two, we do two and a quarter, okay. that's it. Doesn't matter if it's a hundred degrees out, doesn't matter if it's 50, two and a quarter, that's what it is. Um, I'm fortunate no one's ever complained about uh, height of cut here uh, in, in Other facilities that I worked at, I had those conversations a lot, but uh, yeah, um, two and a quarter, that's it.
2: Do you roll the grass fields lightly in the spring as part of your wake them up program?
0: Uh, No, we don't have a roller, but our, um, our our mower that we use, it's a fairly heavy machine. It's got rollers so we can stripe, so it does have a little bit of a rolling effect. Um, we'll, and we'll probably go, we're thinking about if everything dries up today, which sun's starting to come out here a little bit,
2: mm-hmm. um, we
0: might put our first cut on uh, Monday or Tuesday next week, kind of kind of get the, the, the fuzz off, if you will.
2: Are they chomping at the bit, ready to use them?
0: Oh, they're, they've been out already. they've,
2: oh, they've been, been out already. already. All right, let's Need talk baseball, about the We had a baseball
0: game early in the week, so yeah. yeah, yeah okay, out.
2: all right, so let's talk yeah. about the sand fields, right? Um, uh, let's start with some simple stuff. Did yes. you do this sand introduction? And are you glad you
0: did? Uh, it was right before my time. We had two uh, native soil fields, heavy, heavy soils, did not drain. Uh, original construction, they were not graded correctly, right? They were basically flat, ah. right? So we're trying to get water movement off those off those facilities so that we had sand, sand slit drainage introduced. Uh, one field's a full-size soccer lacrosse. The other is my, my uh, soccer complex. Uh, the soccer complex has a more herringbone drainage system with sand drains. Uh, and the biggest complaint when I started here is we can see the sand lines. We can see the drain lines. I said, so, well, what are we doing for fertility? And they said, well, we don't know. Said, well, okay. <laughs> but, you know, just, So, you know, we started with just basics, right? Basic fertility. Um, and, you know, from those fields now, when we're coring them, we're coring them, we're sweeping cores, we're adding two mil sand uh, and proper fertility is a little different there. Um, they're not hugely sand based. So they're, they're more of a still of a native soil. Um, so fertility wise is really not a whole lot different. Do you like them?
2: I mean, do you like them? Would you consider to do this to more fields because they give you more possibilities in more range of bad weather conditions?
0: Yes, yeah, I would. Yeah, we've, we've, we have it on our long range plan to do some more fields um, with that. It just, to me, it's just, it's does the usage match the cost? and we have some some fields that don't get a huge amount of usage. I'd love to do it, but from a cost perspective, once we start starting doing it, you know, we got a we got a core, we got a sweep, we got a sand top dress, it, it's forever, right? It's, it's a, a whole nother site. thing, right? right? It's it's
2: yeah. it's one more thing on the 51 acres that you, gotta you got to manage. But let it. me ask about something that I'm sure you see come up. I know it's a big part of all the professional sports turf managers is and uh, how do you approach a safety testing program? How do you look people in the face that are using your fields and give them some sense of, you know, the assumption is like, like it is with a lot of things, like people say this about chemicals. Well, the EPA says it's safe, so I can use it. Uh, they look at a field, you and I look at a field, we might say, Ooh, mm, I don't know. Oh, well, we're here. They don't even think about safety. How do you approach that conversation in your role with servicing so many masters.
0: Yeah, so when I started here, that was the first thing. It was like you walking around and we're, we, we, we did assessments, right? And we, we used, uh, UConn has a field assessment guide. Yeah. We use that and said, all right, let's put a, a number to these fields and where do, they, where do we wanna be? Um, you know, from a, from a field safety perspective on a natural grass, um, you know, we're filling in divots when we can, making sure fields are as smooth as playable as possible. You know, we irrigation start. we're making sure irrigation heads aren't too high, aren't too low, anything like that. Yeah. We have the ability to, to, to maintain those, you know, pretty quickly if there's an issue.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: from a synthetic perspective, we test probably on a biannual basis to an annual basis, mm-hmm. depending on what's going on. We have data, independent data from an uh, uh, independent uh, lab. We do Gmax, we do a HIC test, uh, we do infield depth Um It's it's an investment, right? It's a huge investment for the community. Yeah. I'm so
2: listen, I gotta end with where we started the conversation. You are again involved in the sports turf manager, a leader in in that organization. Part of your thing is to be an ambassador to people who sometimes don't even know they need a person like you. Now, of course, you gotta have the resources like a town of Weston can have for sure. But there's also ways to at least have an operation that can make the most out of whatever resources and talent you have. And I think that's the key we need to keep exploring that there are a lot of, if you have a decent well-run operation, there's a lot of well-intentioned people without turf degrees that can probably do this pretty well if they avail themselves of NestMa stuff. If they want to learn and talk to guys like you and listen to these stupid programs that Carl and I spend our lives doing, there's ways of learning and doing this. But I fear sometimes there's no sense of what is needed from an operational perspective, because like, oh, they just cut the grass. Oh, they just put, they cut and line the field. And even if the guy knows what he's doing, there's not enough time to get the other stuff that you're we're talking about here. What are those conversations like when you're having them with people who don't even know they need somebody like you?
0: Yeah, it's, you know, a lot of stuff we've never thought of that. We've never... Uh, we didn't know it exists, right? There's, there's resources available from SFMA, from NESMA. Oh, we didn't know this, this information is here. And, and, and we, we have this, again, now, information age with the internet and YouTube. I mean, there's stuff everywhere. It's available, right? Um, so, yeah, just telling them what's, what's available. I, had a, I did a presentation a couple weeks ago for Parks and Rec's group, and it's all recreation park people. And they said, yeah, it's just, it's the conversation, communication with our management with our uh, maintenance staff for the you know users, maintenance staff and programmers, right? And that's a big thing uh, that that we talked about. Um, and just you know, we have an aerator. Well, you've never used it. Use it, right? Just use it. You, we have the equipment. I got a barn full of equipment. I wish I had more guys to use all the equipment. We use what we have available. Um, we end up doing a lot of the agronomic stuff we end up uh sourcing it out because we just again we don't have the time right we don't have the time yeah
2: and speaking of time carl this is a good time to bring you back in can you imagine the wrench time ben how much do you have to drive from place to place before you can actually do something you know what i mean uh, yeah we, yeah, versus we have a having small, a setup up at every field operation.
0: Yeah, we have a small town fortunately, but you know we have guys and they just they go out, they have everything they need. They go and, uh, and service the, the, the campuses and whether it's the recreation facilities that we have around town. Um, yeah, it's a, scheduling. I spend a lot of time sitting in the seat scheduling, right? And, and figure <laughs> out uh, you know, what's the best time and, and you know we have school vacation week in, in a week and a half. That's a huge, busy week for us because there's no one here for a week and we're doing everything under the sun, uh, you know, in a week when they get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. As soon as school ends in June starts all over again.
2: All right, Carl, what about questions for Ben before we thank him?
1: Um, I I just got one question, Ben, and you alluded to it. You've got, um, you've got youth athletes and you've got all the way up to varsity. Uh, We've kind of noticed it at Cornell, even with some men's and women's teams, the difference in, uh, the effect you see on the turf, the traffic, do you notice that at, at those younger levels? And is that something you strategically move around if you, if you've got fields that maybe can take the youth, youth traffic, but not the, the, you know, women's varsity, lacrosse? Yeah,
0: like we, we have the ability to slide fields a little bit when we set things yeah. up so we can move fields 10 feet, 15 feet, right? Makes a difference from, from a goal mouth perspective. Um, yeah, I can tell you if the field's been played on or not and, and kind of on the, the size of an athlete for the most part. Um, yeah, you know, there's a, it's a pack of 30 kindergartners running. Yeah. They're still going to do damage, right? They still are. Um, but yeah, female athletes they are lighter on their feet, uh, not as much damage from them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, you, you can certainly tell who,
2: who's playing there. Who's not. Um, yeah, <laughs> Ben, thanks so much for taking hey, the time. Anytime. I really appreciate you joining us. And you're you're usually with us, so it's great I, that we get a chance to no, banter. No, I never miss it. I try no. not to, at least. <laughs> That's a lot. That's Good to thanks, see you. That's a lot. Carl, Here we go.
1: Yeah, we'll see you all the next week, uh, episodes 9 and 10 of the Turf Show. But for now, take care. Enjoy some uh, sunlight while you can up here in the Northeast.
2: See you. This has been a production
0: of Cornell University. On the web, at cornell.edu.